I want you to turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 3, and we're going to just look at two verses, Proverbs chapter 3, and we're going to look at being thankful for the Lord. This is the last th series in being thankful, and, and we were thankful for our, our church, we were thankful for our country, we were thankful for the world, now we're going to look at, at God and see what we're thankful for with Him. I just want to point out one thing, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, go ahead and turn to it and read it with me. Everybody knows these verses normally, probably the most quoted verses in Proverbs. It says this, let's read it together, trust in the Lord, all thine heart, in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. They're passing these out. I hope you're not done with being thankful. You say, well, I've done a lot of these. Yeah, I'm trying to get you to be thankful. I'm trying to get myself to be thankful. I've got many in there also. But there's always 10 things you come to be thankful for. And you could come to be thankful for 10 things that happened this week if you just think about what God's done for you. So fill these out. Put those in there. We've got one more tonight and then one more Wednesday, praise the Lord. So you have to have 30 things you're thankful for this week. But I want you to look at this, Psalm Three and I mean Proverbs 3, and then we're going to get to Psalm 11 in just a second. In fact, that's our key chapter. If you want to go ahead and turn to that, we'll look at that. There's something about trusting in the Lord, and when you're trusting in the Lord, you're thankful for what the Lord's done because you're throwing all your trust and hope in Him, and that's what God wants us to do. And so when you're looking at these, we looked at this in Psalm 150 on Tuesday night. The last verse in the book of Psalms says what? If you have breath, and everybody in here has breath, whether it's good or bad, you have breath, amen? And what happens with that is if you have breath, you are not supposed to just sit back and say nothing. You're supposed to thank the Lord for what He's doing. The Bible verse says that we are supposed to praise the Lord if we have breath. There's no other option, no other single thing that you can't add or take away from that. God wants to hear you praise Him. There's something about that. And so, it, you know what? It's sometimes easy to praise the Lord. Now watch this first one. Sometimes it's easy to be thankful when you have certain things in your life. Probably none of you have this, but wouldn't you just love to be buried in a, in a bunch of money? Amen. I mean, it's, it, it's easy to be thankful when you have money, and probably no one has this either, this kind of car that's there. One of the most expensive cars you can buy. And so it's easy to have the money, the car, the clothes. How about this? The house. And I think one of the, the, the things that I'm more thankful for is probably the last thing is this, it's health. Aren't you thankful when you feel good? I'm at the age now when I get up from sitting down on my desk, I have to set a timer on my, de on my phone so I have to get up because it takes me about 25 steps to get my back going. And usually, I time it when I'm walking down the, the, in the morning. I walk, when I get to the, um, the, air, the water faucet out here, I usually am feeling okay. This time, it took me all the way to get to the back doors. And I was like, Lord, you need to get this fixed. It's something about having your health the right way. That's why we're praying for these certain people. The Martins need our prayers. We've seen so many answers, but now we've got to pray for Grant. We've got to pray for Jacob. As he goes through the surgery, if it was your child, if it was you, you'd want those prayers. Lift up his name. We've got to, it's easy to be thankful when you have all these things, things in our life. You have the finances, you have the cars, the clothes, the house, the health. But let's be realistic. Let's be real in here. Sometimes we need more than what we have. 
Sometimes those good times are fewer or further away. What happens when things crumble? Can I tell you that there's a lot of people, mediocre Christians, when something happens in their life, they fail in God's eyes because they don't have the trust and they don't have the thankfulness that God needs us to have. What are we? Are we mediocre? So when something goes wrong, we just turn tail on God and we're not thankful for what He's done? There's a song that we're eventually going to sing here. Maybe the choir is singing. It's called, God Wants to Hear You Sing. And the, the premise of the whole song is God wants to hear you sing when the winds are howling around you. When the storm is raging, He still wants to hear your voice. And so it's easy to be thankful when you have all these, but let's look and let's be realistic and let's look at some other things. That's when the mediocre Christian will sometimes fall apart when things happen. Let's talk about this and let's look at Psalms 11. Go ahead and turn to Psalms 11. And when you turn to Psalms 11, you'll see something with this. There's, there's, a, there's the first part and the last part. And if he just did the first verse, um, verse 1a, and then the last verse in verse number 7, it would be a great chapter and we could say, oh man, these two verses are amazing. But let's look at it. It says, In the Lord put I my trust. For the, for the righteous Lord, if you go to verse number 7, for the righteous Lord loveth righteousness, his countenance doth behold the upright. You know, you read those two verses, Brother Hilton, and you say, oh man, those are great verses. But you've got to understand when David wrote this. When David wrote Psalm 11, if you look at the top of Psalm, you'll see it's to the chief musician of Psalm of David. So we know David wrote this. We know Solomon wrote Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust the Lord with all thine heart, lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. We know Solomon, his son, wrote that. But here David's writing this, and he says, In the Lord put I my trust. And then he says this, For the righteous Lord loveth righteousness, his countenance doth behold the upright. But I want, you to, I want you to figure this out, and I want you to understand when he wrote this. Because when you understand the time period that he wrote this, Psalm 11 was written in the transition of David first fleeing King Saul. Now think about that. It was written during the time that things were happening in his life. These are some amazing events when you study this out of what was happening in David's life. There were some things that, that were really, honestly, terrible for him to go through. Now picture, if you will, see, we see David, when we look at David, we see him killing the giant. Bless God, that was a great victory. And then we see him as the king of Israel. But there's a transition period that he had between there. And I think the hardest time he had in his life was when he had to separate himself from many different things. What was crumbling around him as he's fleeing from Saul? Well, the first one's obvious that the um, country was, fleeing, was, was falling apart. Here they have a king that is going crazy after David and wanting to kill him and would spend years trying to kill him. So David knew that he was anointed king and, and now he's got to separate himself from King Saul and he has no earthly idea what's going to happen to his kingdom. And remember in his mind, he's going to be the king. What's he going to get when he gets there? How bad can Saul make it? And so he, he, he loses his country. He's, he's separated from his country. The second thing that I wanted to write down, he lost a friend in, in, in King Saul. And Saul lost a very godly man. 
Remember when Saul was going through some problems, what did he do? He called on this David. He called on this David to do what? What was one thing he asked David to do? That soothed his soul, play an instrument. He not only called on him to soothe his soul, he called on him in the times of battle. Remember when Saul got upset? He got upset when he came back and they were marching back from a great victory and he heard the people say, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his what? Tens of thousands. That tells me that David was fighting right along with him. He starts getting this in his head and he doesn't like the authority and, and the prestige that David's getting and King Saul turns against him. Now he's lost his country. He's lost his king. He's also lost all of his friends. He didn't know who he can trust. In fact, later on you'll find, guess what? His son turns against him. And also some of the people that were in his higher enchilant of, of men were against him. He had lost his friends. So here he's lost his country, his king, his friends. He had lost his family. Okay, if you were King Saul and you were hunting David, where would the first place you'd plant somebody? I'd plant someone right by Jesse's house and tell that guard to tell me if he shows up. He no longer could go see his family. He was alienated all across the board. He also lost his country, his king, his friends, his family, and his home. How many of you like to sleep in your bed? Amen. Do you like the mattress of your bed? How many of you have a favorite pillow? All right. I travel with my pillows. I don't know how old they are. They're, oh, my word. One of them's got to be over 25 years old. Don't mess with my pillow. Amen. I've got a full body pillow. I've got three pillows I sleep with. I love pillows. Amen. And when I go on vacation, I don't bring them. I go, I don't know if I can sleep. I like a soft pillow. Have you ever been in those um, hotels where your pillow's real hard and you've got to sleep with your head like this because it won't get smaller? I mean, we all have this. Can you imagine him losing all this? Look at this list. Let's say you were to lose the United States. Let's say you were to lose the President, the Congress, and everything, and you had to go into a country. You had no earthly idea what was going to happen. Let's say you were to lose all your friends, all your family, and even your home. How could you thank God for that? That'd be a hard thing to do, wouldn't it? You know, David's life changed. Look what he, look what he talks about in the next one. You'll see David's life changes were a few things. Look at the first one. His soul was affected. Let's go and let's go ahead and read Psalms 11. I want you to follow along with me as we read all the way through it. It says, In the, in the Lord put I tr on my trust. How say you to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain. For lo, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow upon the string, they may, that they may privily shoot at the upright in heart. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids try the children of men. Then it says, the Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked in him that loveth violence his soul hateth. Upon the wicked he shall rain snares, fire and brimstone, and a horrible tempest. That means wind. In other words, their life will never be what it used to be. This shall be the portion of their cup. For the righteous Lord loveth righteousness, his countenance doth behold the upright. Go to verse number one. You're going to see that his soul was affected by it. Look what it says in this verse. In verse number one it says, How say ye to my soul, whatever was said to him, it affected him. 
It affected his soul. First of all, he says he trusts in the Lord, and then all of a sudden his soul is affected. And when your soul is affected, you better have the right relationship with God to get it to go the right direction. Look at the next one. Not only was his soul affected, he was told to run away. How many of you ever like to just run away? Do you remember when you, when you told your parents when you were younger you didn't like something? You said, I'm just going to run away. How many of you ever said that to your parents? Raise your hand. I, I, everybody's scared. This is Matlock. You and I, we both, we both did that. I remember one time I told my mom, I said, I'm going to run away from you. I told her. She said, okay. And she left. I thought, man, I got her. And I walked back in my room. And she had a backpack for me with an apple on top. And I said, what are you doing? And she said, I'm going to get you packed so when you run away, you'll at least have clean clothes and one full meal. I was 27 when she did that to me. No, I wouldn't do that. I was about seven years old. I remember I was devastated. I thought, Mom, how could you do that? Here, read verse number one. He says, listen, just be like a bird and fly away. Verse 1 says, flee as a bird to your mountain. Showing possession, he's saying, listen, go to where you feel comfortable. And I think in his mind he thought, maybe I could do that. But then verse number 2 comes along. Not only was he affected and he wanted to run away, but guess what? The wicked were trying to destroy him. Look at verse number 2. He describes in, in full illustration of what they're doing. For lo, the wicked bend their bow, that they may ready their arrow upon the string. Got any bow hunters in here? He's got that thing. They've got it pulled back, and they're ready to fire. When that little bird flies off, they're going to want to shoot him. They want to destroy him. Not only do they want to destroy him, and this is very important too, it was an open rebuke from Saul to destroy him, but watch this. Enemies were attacking him privately too because he says that. Sometimes God puts words in the Bible for us to understand it. There's one thing for a majority of people, but then when it's private, watch what it says. Verse number two, that they may privily shoot at the upright in heart. Privately, they want to go after him. They want to destroy him. And look at the next one. Not only that, his foundation was being destroyed. If you bought a house, and you looked at it, and everything looked okay, and then when you bought it, you, you paid for it, you're going into it, and all of a sudden you look at the foundation and it's falling apart, would that not send a fear to you? It would send a great fear to me. But watch, what, what, the found, what are the foundations that have fallen apart? His country, remember that list? His king. His family, his friends, his home, all these things are falling apart around him. You say, well, Pastor Wagner, I thought this was about being thankful. This is something you've got to understand about David. We so often see when he, reads, when he writes in Psalms some of the problems he went through. But he always illustrates it and tells us that God is bigger than the problems. If you're in a world where there's no problems, great. But how many of you have a personal problem, and don't tell me what it is, but how many of you are going through a personal thing, maybe a family member, maybe a situation, that it's a problem in your life that you're praying for? Raise your hand. Numerous people in this room. So what can we do about this? Well, when the foundation is falling apart, guess what? You've got to ask the question. See what he says. Go to verse number four. Verse number three, he says, if the foundations be destroyed, then he asks this simple question, what can the righteous do? 
Because in David's life, everything is array right now. He can't, he can't figure out which way to go. If God told me that I needed to leave and I couldn't go back to my country, my king, my family, my home, my friends, where would I go? Can you understand the devastation that he had? Here was a man that had killed a giant, killed his tens of thousands. Later on, he would be king. And yeah, he had a problem and he went through that and he also talked about it and he restored himself with God. But in this moment in his life, he's just looking and saying, what can the righteous do? What can we do when the foundations are destroyed? What can we do? What can the righteous do? And then he points this out. And these are the four things I want you to see and we'll be done. But David asked an important question. David realized something that sometimes we don't realize. He realized the Lord, number one. If you want to write these down, it's found in verse number four. The Lord sees. You know, there was times in my life growing up that when I did something, I didn't want my parents to see it. But then there were other times that I wanted them to see it. You ever been scared and just the sight of your parents being able to see you? Some of the scare in your life is dissipated? Why is that? Because you see an authority that can protect you. Look at verse number four. It says in verse number four, David writes, he says, The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in his heaven. Now watch this. His eyes behold. What does that mean? He sees. His eyes behold. He knows what's going on. Through your troubles, through your trials, through your triumphs, through your victories, through your defeats, God still knows what's going on. That's why we can write these orange. If we were to take these and say, okay, no one write anything to be thankful for that you've not got anything. If you've got any problems, I don't want you to write one. Do you realize how many do we have in there? None. Because we all have problems. We all have um, tragedies in our life. We all have things we have to deal with. But you know what's good is that David sees that God sees. And that's very important. Not only does he say his eyes, look at, look at, he brings it even in a little bit more detail. It says in verse number four, his eyes behold, his eyelids see the children of men. He sees each and every one of us. And that's a blessing. That's a blessing if you're righteous. <laughs> that's the key to this. He says, what can the righteous do? The righteous don't care if God sees them. The unrighteous care if God sees them. Because with God seeing me, there's a protection that I get. Watch this. If you're speeding down the highway and a police officer pulls behind you, is that a good sight you want to see? No. I don't know about you, but I don't know what the police officers think when they, when they do that, if they get a big thrill out of it. But I can feel my adrenaline just kicking in. And I start getting nervous. And I feel really bad. But let me ask you a second question. Let's say I'm getting robbed and a police officer pulls behind me. That's a whole different feeling. Because they're there for my protection. See, God sees. Not only did David see that God sees, he also sees that God tries. Look at verse number five. It says, The Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked and him that loveth violence his soul hateth. You know what this means when it says that he trieth you? Look at verse number um, four. Go back, you see that little word try in there. It says the eyelids try. He's watching when you go through things and he tries us. He makes us what we need to be. What has made you, what you who you are? Your problems have made you what you are. Getting through it. 
And I use this illustration a lot. Finish this sentence. Um, Jonah and the... Oh, my word. No one knows that story. Do I need to go up to children's church? Jonah and the... Daniel and the... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the... All those things were problems. We all know about them. Even when we say Noah and the... Ark. That was a problem. You don't think that? Try to build one. All these things were problems. He tries us. And David understood that. What he was getting David ready for is the kingdom. And he was getting it through struggles and trials that he would have. But you know what? David loved that he knew God was watching him and God tries him. Look at the next verse. Go to verse number 6. He upholds. He holds up what is right. Upon the wicked he shall rain snares, fire and brimstone, and a horrible tempest. It's talking about a horrible wind. One that you can't even stand up in and not knowing what's going to happen. Picture, if you will, you standing in a field and a tornado comes, not knowing which way it's going. And all of a sudden it comes at you. What are you going to do? You're going to be scared. And this is exactly what the wicked go through. They don't have the, the foundation that the righteous do. And so here he upholds in verse number 6. And the one I like the, the best is the last one. And it says this. Not only does he see, he tries, he upholds. But you know what else he does? He loves us. Go to verse number 7. It says, for the righteous Lord loveth everyone. He does. But what's this verse saying? It, he loves the righteousness. The righteous God loves the righteousness of us. He loves us. What does that mean? It cares for you. When you love something, you'll correct it. Right? I have a dog that loves me. And I've, I've not trained this dog right. This dog, if you were to go to my house and you were to walk in the backyard, this dog would jump up on you. Because Denver, I've trained him to do something that I shouldn't have her do. I give her a hug every morning. She jumps up, puts her paws on my, on my stomach, and lay, lays down there, and I just give her a hug, and I have to scratch her belly and scratch her head. Now, that's great for me. I love that. But not everybody likes drool, hair, and dirt all over you. So what happens is if somebody comes over and visits my dog, guess what that dog's going to do? Because I've trained her to do that. She's going to do the same thing to you. And I tell people, don't get in there. She will jump up on you. I've got to retrain her later. But you know what? I really like what she does. Every morning before I send her out, she stretches out, puts her hands on the, on the concrete wall, and I rub her belly. And she sits there and just loves it. Not everybody would like that. If you are a cat person, God forbid, but if you were, and you had this dog come up to you, this dog would overwhelm you. This dog loves me. But can I tell you something? There's a God that loves me way more than that. And everything he does is righteous. The question is asked in verse number three. It says, what can the righteous do? Verse number seven answers that. For the righteous Lord, the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. It says, his countenance doth behold the upright. He is watching us. He will affect who we are. And you know what? We can be thankful for him. I want you to turn. See, David wrote Psalm 11 in a terrible time in his life when he was fleeing from Saul and not knowing if he was going to live another day other than 
God had, had, had predestined that what he was going to be what? The king of Israel. But at that particular moment, he had no idea what was going to happen to him. He lost his country. He lost his king. He lost his home. He lost his friends. He lost his family. But yet he saw that God loved him. God tried him. God upholds things. He's a, he's a just God. And that he loved him. I want you to turn over to a chapter that everybody knows. And I want you to turn to Psalm 23. Because you want me to tell you how I can be thankful for God? When I read this psalm, Psalm 23, man, it just shows me how much God plans everything and He loves me. It's a, it's a, it's a chapter that's read in many funerals. But it's really more about life than it is death. And let's just read this. I want you to read it together. Just follow with me, and I want you to read it out loud, and I want you to read all six verses. Because if this doesn't make you thankful for what God's done, I don't know what verses will. Because David, in the midst of trying after falling after Saul and not knowing what was going to happen, he still had the, the, the audacity, if you would, to write Psalm 23 and show you how much he, that God loved him. Let's read it together. Follow along with me. Psalm 23 says this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for Thou art with me. Thy rod and Thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemy. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. When I look at the first verse, and I look at the last verse of Psalm 23, I'm amazed at how much God loves me. Psalm, Psalm 23, 1 tells me what I need. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I don't need anything other than Him. There's no, there's no money, car, house, fame, or anything that's going to get me into heaven. The only thing that's going to get me into heaven is Jesus and Jesus alone. But then he says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. Don't you like goodness in your life? You know why I like goodness? Because he sees, he tries, upholds, and he loves. Man, we have a great God, don't we? We need to be thankful for what he's done. If I ask, do we have any blessings? I can hear crickets chirping sometimes. But I want to tell you, we serve a great God. He is our shepherd. And when the shepherd there, read verses 2, 3, and 4, and you'll figure out everything that God does for you. Lead it to beside still waters. He gives you the water that you need. He gives you the green pastures. So many people are, I just don't, I just don't understand. I just don't, we all, I don't, I, you know what? Let's get over it and understand that God has something great for us. <laughs> When you walk out of the door today, thank God for the weather, amen? Peter was here early raking up the leaves. You know what that means? The leaves are falling off. Snow is coming, praise God. I ask people in here, are you cold or are you hot? There are, everybody's different. But you know what? We serve the same God and God loves us so much. When's the last time you just thank God for what He's done? In, in December, we look at a God that loves us so much 
that he sent his son to be born in a manger. You know, when the Martins had their baby, there were some problems with it. But he wasn't born in a manger. He was born in a sterile environment. And can you imagine Mary walking along and going, I've got to have a place for this child to be born, knocks on the inn and says, there's no room in the inn, but you can go out there. How many of you in here, if you had a pregnant woman come to your house and say, I need to have a child, can you call an emergency vehicle to come here and say, okay, but go out in our barn until they get here? That's how much Jesus loves you. And he knew exactly what he had to do for you. Thank God for the Lord.